If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear, check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner, check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. Today we're going to be talking about uh, things to make your road bike a little bit faster, hopefully without spending too much money, something that I am very passionate about. But my colleague, Jack. Hello, Jack. Hello, Simon. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. But something, yeah, Jack's not, doesn't really care so much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not a go fast rider. I'm definitely more of a, a dude Chillington with my riding. I've been spending the last couple of months riding a stupid flat bar, fixed gear, steel gravel bike where Simon's been punishing himself on Zwift and uh, riding a go fast bike. So it's safe to say, I'm the more casual of the pair of us, but you're going to go through some cheap and in some cases free upgrades and you're going to try and sell them to me to see if I can really push the limits of uh, of performance this summer ahead. Yeah, I mean, unlike megawatts, Jack, you know, I don't I don't really have the legs to to ignore <laughs> this sort of stuff. So, you know, part of the reason that I'm sort of so passionate about it is because if you were to look at my power files, you, you, they're not very impressive. So we can make up quite a lot on, you know, I mean, marginal gains is, is the kind of fancy term, but actually some of them are quite big and you don't have to spend loads of money. So yeah, so let's, let's go through them. I mean, the, the one that I think most people probably forget about, and this, one, this one's free, is you need to clean your bike regularly. And this is something not close to your heart, is it, Jack? No, I can't. No, no, I have nothing to add to that. I really detest cleaning bikes, um, even on something as simple as a fixed gear. I just, it's just not fun. It's not how <laughs> I want to spend the end of a bike ride. Cleaning chains, if you don't have the proper kit for it, is a nightmare. We're very fortunate in that when we can go into the office normally and work, we have a lovely bike wash. But in my fashionable house in fashionable South Bristol, I do not have access to a hose which just makes it a truly torturous task. So no, I cannot say I'm a fan of cleaning bikes. 
but it's you know for me it's it's really easy to do and sort of testing by friction facts and zero friction cycling and those kind of independent uh, sort of you know drive train testing bodies they've sort of, sort of shown it can be costing you kind of one or two percent of your kind of total power output and it doesn't sound like much but as it's a kind of percentage those those absolute numbers obviously increase as you go out in power as you go up in power um, and that you know one to two percent could could be anywhere between sort of three and five watts at you know, 300 watts or whatever. So, it, you know, that's quite significant. And and obviously, the dirtier your drivetrain, the more it's costing you. And likewise, if you're not cleaning your bike, your bearings are probably, you know, getting they're kind of running out of grease and getting a bit dry as well. And, and everything's just going to be slowing you down. So I would say get out the bucket and sponge. You don't need a hose. I don't have a hose. You can you can just use a, an old water bottle to spray water over your bike at the end and <laughs> yeah, keep keep your bike clean. That that's that's a really that's a really good tip from me. Keep your bike clean. It also looks better when you turn up to the group ride and you've got a clean bike. Everyone knows you, you know you're not going to be that guy who's going to get two punctures in the first 10 miles because you haven't picked the glass out of your tires. I mean I mean, that sounds like something that would happen to me regardless of whether or not I was cleaning my bikes. But I, I cannot I cannot disagree with you. It is true. It's been independently verified. Whether or not that will convince me to start cleaning my bikes on the regular, well, I think it's a, perhaps a personality trait. I'm going to kind of put it down to that. All right. Well, if you, do, if you do clean your bike, the next thing you should do, especially if you once you clean the chain, is you should use a good chain lube. Um, and this one isn't, isn't probably going to be free. And you might have to spend, you know, £10 or something on this. But the, the difference between the worst chain lubes and the best chain lubes is quite significant. And there's another kind of, you know, three or four watts, maybe even more in there if you've been using a really terrible lube. And so wax-based chain lubes are generally the best. Um, and dry chain lubes are generally the worst. Mostly the dry chain lubes because they're 90% carrier fluid. They're not really, they don't really have much lubricant in them. So <laughs> you're only pay, you're, you're paying money for things that generally just are designed to evaporate, which yeah, you know, to me doesn't sound like such great value for money. But wax is really good because it, it kind of dries and then it doesn't attract contaminants. Have, have you ever used a wax lube, Jack? I have. Simon is, a, you know, a definitely a wax fetishist, I think it's safe to say. And I hadn't really given much thought to my lube before you entered my life. But I have to say <laughs> that you're absolutely right. It, it, it clearly makes a difference. You know that just by the fact that when you're out riding in really grimy conditions, compared to some cheaper, nasty, even wet lubes I'd used previously, the wax lubes will just last that much longer in wet conditions. So you know in that itself, it's clearly working better. But also, I think that in terms of keeping your bike clean and ending up with a, a cleaner overall drivetrain, yeah, a good wax lube, if it's properly applied to a clean chain, I mean, it is a, a significant difference to how much easier it is to maintain your bike. So... I will concede on this one. I, I'm not. I'm not quite at your level. I'm not cooking my chains in a slow cooker. I'm, I'm not, you know, at that stage yet. But yeah, I've started using smooth uh, wax lube and cleaning my chain a bit more regularly. And even I can say it makes a difference. Yeah, and 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 it's a really good one because as well as sort of being a little bit faster, you know, lower friction also means less drivetrain wear. So spending a little bit of a little bit of money on a good chain lube and keeping your drivetrain clean will actually save you money in the long run because you're not going to be wearing out your parts as quickly. You know, I've got cassettes that are a few years old now and chains that I keep checking 
to check whether they've reached you know kind of 0.5 stretching and they just they never they seem to last forever when you when you clean them regularly and wax them so save money by getting your drivetrain clean and getting some wax on there that that that's another top tip from me so other than that whilst we're kind of on that drivetrain area because it it's you know it's it's there's so much going on there's so much metal and metal contact there's so much going on there's there's even more to be had down there and you know maybe this isn't one for jack the fixed gear person but if you've got a derailleur <laughs> on your bike because you live in the in the modern era then shifting <laughs> shifting smartly can also help so bigger cogs are more efficient yeah absolutely it's 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 definitely true you know it's it's something i've you've definitely seen at the kind of pro level where yeah cassettes have been getting bigger and that's partly because people have realized that spinning up hills is uh, faster than grinding your way up but also you know there's been loads of independent studies that have shown that large larger chain rings and match with larger cassettes are faster it's to do with the angle isn't it that the chain kind of leaves and enters the cassette that's yeah, where the primary right. advantage comes from yeah yeah, and, and essentially because the chain doesn't have to articulate in such a tight manner, and this is why you see ceramic speed making those massive oversized pulley wheels, but the difference between a kind of 11-tooth pulley wheel and a 14-tooth pulley wheel, you have to pay quite a lot for that ceramic speed derailleur, you know, but you can get a cheap cassette which goes 11-32 or 11-34 and then stick with a slightly bigger chain ring at the front and just having those bigger cogs in a slightly more usable place allows you to stay in the big ring just a little bit longer and that's more efficient i mean you have to watch your chain line if you're if you're going to 52 32 the chain line isn't going to be great and that's not going to be good but if you if you can get the you know no one uses 5311 and if you see a time trial bike with a 58 tooth ring on the front no one's really using 5811 what they want is they want that 58 tooth on the front so they can use you know cogs in the middle of the cassette range where the chain line is really really good and you're still getting a really nice gear and so yeah bigger bigger cogs more efficient just watch your chain line yeah totally i I really i will back you up on this one where with the chain line it just feels better for one thing you're not mashing your drivetrain into bits but to kind of draw on my you know, much experience on fixed gears. If you've got the right gear, you're kind of pedaling well with the right cadence, it is almost like a magical feeling how efficient the drivetrain is. You really, really do feel it. Um, so even on a geared bike, you can kind of take those lessons, apply them there. And yeah, I agree with you there. Plus it looks pro as well. If you've got a big old, <laughs> exactly. big old set of chain rings on your bike, you look really hard, which at the end of the day, is the most important thing. Yeah, it really does count for a lot. And but yeah, like I said, the, you know, fifty three eleven is a huge gear, and that's more than enough for everyone. But if you've ever been in fifty three eleven, it feels awful. So you really want to try and avoid that. And rather than uh, you know, I don't want to sort of dunk on SRAM here too much, but I'm not a fan of the kind of because I'm sure Shimano are going to go there for twelve feet, but I'm not a fan of the ten tooth cog. I, I just I just don't I don't really get it. I'm not, I'm not sure who it's for. I don't like I the guess efficiency the ar- losses. The bike the industry more in for, is going there. Yeah, I think it's more the argument for one by drivetrains where you still get that extended range. And one could argue in the likes of a, you know, a, a kind of a cruisy gravel bike is not quite so critical when you think about efficiency. But I do agree that for, you know, go fast riding, 
I wouldn't be surprised to see the likes, you know, of t- teams that are on SRAM do using something different for maybe time trials. Perhaps not. I don't really know what's out there in terms of 12-speed cassettes, but... I think Shimano are going to do the same fish. thing. I think I think when mm. we see 12-speed Shimano, because they've got their XD driver, I think they're going to do the same thing. So I shouldn't really be calling out SRAM for that. But I just think, you know, what I'd really like to see is cassettes starting at 12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think that would be fine for me. I'd like a 1232 or a 1234 and just have that slightly more tightly spaced 11-speed cassette or 12-speed cassette or whatever. And, and yeah, but... Maybe you could go to junior gearing, Simon. You could start going to like 1432s or something. Anyway. Yeah, maybe I should. Okay. I so, think yeah. they've heard enough of drivetrains. We've heard what, enough what of drivetrains. So let's let's do um let's do body positioning. We're gonna go we're going to aero now. So obviously, you know, I'm quite a thin guy, but nevertheless, your you know, your body or my body is creating around 80 percent or so of the kind of total drag package as we say. So anything you can kind of do to improve your body shape, and that means kind of crouching down, ducking your head down, getting narrow, all of those things are going to lead to significant savings. At kind of 45 kilometers an hour, you're going to be, you know, you could be, you could be saving 40 watts just by changing your body position from sitting up on the hoods to crouching down in a narrow position. And, you know, you'll never save that in a component. No, never. And it's free critically as well. You know, it doesn't cost you anything to get rid of some spacers and work on your position. And practicing really is the the key with this. And also kind of assessing how you look on the bike. You know, it's very well and all just getting low and smashing yourself up to a really squashy position, which might feel fast, but it might not necessarily be the fastest. And likewise, it might not be the most efficient as well for you in, in your body position, particularly on longer rides. And if I can, uh, you know, stick in a little humble brag, I uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did a really big ride. And as I mentioned, I'm riding this stupid fixie a lot just now. And I normally ride it with flat bars. But because I wanted to do this big old ride, um, I decided to fit some aero bars onto it. Now, I'm not going to defend the way they look because <laughs> flat bar mountain bike bars with aero bars is a hideous combination. But for my particular bike... It kind of makes sense because it gives me something nice to kind of hoof on for the climbs, a bit more control off-road, but then a super aero position for the for the flat tarmac and stuff. And I felt like I was flying, honestly. You know, I don't have a power meter on my um on my fixie. But if I was to take a guess, a total rough guess, it felt as if I was putting in maybe a third less power to go for the equivalent speed compared to being up in the wind, sitting like a big sail on my flat bars. But, you know, it's, it's a massive difference. And over the course of that 277k day, I think having the aero bars in my current level of fitness was the difference between doing it and not doing it because it just made so much of a difference to also have a different position um, over that long day. And taking that thinking onto your just in, you know, general day-to-day road bike, there is loads you can do to improve your position, isn't there? Yeah, if, you know, if you if you don't want to spend any money, then you can obviously mess around with your kind of saddle position. Some people find a more forward saddle position can help them open up their hip angle, but obviously that that you might have to increase your saddle height a little bit, so you may have to raise your handlebars. You know, obviously you see in the pros, they often tilt their sort of shift the hoods inwards a little bit so that they can rest their forearms on their handlebars and still hold the shifters and get a slightly more narrower, more aero position. 
if you're willing to spend a little bit of money, you can buy slightly narrower handlebars. You don't have to buy expensive handlebars. You certainly don't need to buy, you know, sort of the kind of schmolker handlebars that <laughs> you, we, you know, Jack and Jack and other hill climb aficionados like to put on their bikes. You can buy a set of, you know, 38 centimeter Dada aluminium handlebars for 30 pounds or something. And, you know, I, I was speaking to, um, Javier Disley from AeroCoach recently, and he sort of suggested that going from a 42-centimetre bar to a 38-centimetre bar, is it, the, the savings in terms of aerodynamics at 45 kilometres an hour is roughly equivalent to switching from a deep-section rear wheel to a disc wheel. And Which is it, just crazy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and it won't cost it's... you anywhere near. <laughs> so No, and and also it's not going to compromise your your handling of your bike. You know, I've yeah. ridden your bike and you have 36 centimetre bars on your bike, which is insane, frankly. <laughs> but, you know, even riding them in a hill climb where is the one place people always say, oh, well, wider bars make a difference. You know, it means you can climb a little bit better. Honestly, I would struggle to tell the difference once you've been riding it for a little bit. Sure, if you're riding off-road on gravel, wider bars undoubtedly make sense. And on yes. mountain biking, it's, it's just not a question. Yeah. Wider is better. But for road riding i don't think it makes as much a difference as people say and for like you say narrow is fast so yeah <laughs> so i it. think i think the difference in handling comes from i think people often you know you, you hear that it makes the bike very twitchy but it of course what because what essentially you're doing is using a shorter lever so the turning circle becomes smaller so obviously bigger movements turn the bars further faster but you can compensate for that with a slightly longer stem because narrow handlebars also reduce the reach to the hood slightly. And that longer yeah, stem... Tr trigonometry Bromley over here. Somebody <laughs> got a GCSE in on that. <laughs> yeah, so that longer stem helps kind of counteract that. And, and then, so, you, you know, for me, like, like you just said there, once, once you've ridden it for a couple of days, it feels perfectly normal. And, and to be honest, I just got a new long-term test bike and it's come with 42 centimetre handlebars and it feels ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, of course, the count the counter argument will be true because as soon as you've ridden that for a couple of yeah. days, it will feel fine. Yeah. But maybe, maybe not. You can't see Simon, but he is about as wide as a sheet of A4 paper. So it's totally possible. It's the thing. Granted, I'm a particularly narrow kind of person in general. So if you're, you know, if you're a big strapping young fellow who's, you know, m more suited to rugby perhaps and, and you're currently riding a 44 centimetre wide bar, maybe don't switch straight to a 36, you know, maybe yeah. tr try a 40. Uh, <laughs> he might be a narrow man, but he's not narrow-minded as Simon. So if you think he's completely wrong, let him know in the comments why oh, he's yeah. wrong. Yeah, if you think if you think I'm wrong, I'd love to know because I, I mean I haven't convinced. I know Matthew is not convinced, and he is also. I mean, he may even be the only person I've ever met who's narrower than me. <laughs> but he's not convinced. Uh, yeah. So. No, um, he certainly isn't. But this is also the same man who refuses to clean his drivetrain. So perhaps you two are just. You ying to your yang. <laughs> anyway, yeah. from narrow, narrow handlebars, we go to narrow people again, and it's the obvious one. The first one everyone always says when we start talking about lighter and lighter bikes, you can always afford to lose some weight from your body. Yeah, and, and I think that's, that's the main thing because you can spend loads of money on your bike and you might only save half a kilo if you're lucky, but 
it's not going to, you know, half a kilo is, is like carrying a water bottle or not. It's not going to make a huge difference to your performance. But, you know, most people, not everyone, obviously, but many people perhaps can afford to lose a couple of kilos from their own body weight. And you'll never save that on your, unless you're going from a kind of, you know, sub 1000 pound bike to an absolute super bike with rim brakes that's designed for hill climbing. You'll never save two kilos on a bike, no matter how much money you spend. So, that's that's the real that's the real place you know well i love to say that weight doesn't matter it doesn't really for bike weight and if you're riding in flats then your body weight probably doesn't matter matter either but we all like to ride up hills with our friends and we all like to beat our friends up those hills and that's where <laughs> body weight does come in totally and you know it just feels better as well to to lose weight from yourself is much more gratifying than throwing money at the bike. It's going to make a difference to your performance. It's free at the end of the day. It's almost certainly going to be good for your health, unless you do go as narrow as Simon. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's an obvious one. We actually did an article on this a couple of years ago on Bike Radar where they did test. So they would add lead weights to, it was Paul Robson, our uh, now editor on Cycling Plus, to him and then they'd add the lead weights to the bike and kind of compare his power and his uh, lactates and all this sort of stuff it's a really good read we'll put it in the uh, description for this podcast wherever you get it from it's definitely worth looking at um but safe to say the results were exactly what you expected <laughs> yeah it, it just doesn't you know it doesn't it, it you, we we kind of you know we have a habit I talk about us reviewers on kind of when we're looking at wheels, we'll sort of say, oh, this wheel set is 200 grams heavier than this wheel set. And therefore, you know, that's that's just that's appalling. This is such a heavy wheel set. But actually, like, you know, 200 grams, you know, <laughs> you, know you could lose 200 grams by stopping to go to the loo. Uh, <laughs> oh, easy. So, yeah. yeah, I've come back from rides where I've chronically dehydrated myself, definitely not on purpose. And I'm like, wow function dehydration i could be at least two kilos lighter <laughs> well yeah that's how boxers do it isn't it so yeah it's it, it just yeah you can always chasing weight off your bike is, is just you know obviously it's fun to do and if you've got the money to do it and you want to buy loads of fancy parts because you love the bling factor you know don't let us stop you um but it, it don't don't kind of kid yourself that it's going to make you go that much faster i think the real gains to be had for most people are kind of in in the weight the weight gain and you know if you're if you're trying to lose weight a little bit and and that comes with eating a slightly better diet which is more varied more balanced you know and and I wouldn't recommend any kind of specific diet I would sort of say eat a balanced diet try and make good decisions more of the time don't worry about you know you don't have to be militant about it but that's gonna you know if, if you lose a bit of weight from that then great but that's also going to increase your kind of general level of health as well and that will also make you ride faster. Exactly. Very sage advice, Simon, and something we should apply to everyday life, because at the end of the day, cycling is not the be-all and end-all. So if you can make yourself healthier and it so happens to make you faster, then so be it. All the better for it. And then there's one last one. We, we had a big old list of these to go through, but one I think is quite interesting, one I'd like you to talk about, Simon, because it's not something I know very much about, but sleeping better, another free one you can absolutely do. do. Yeah, yeah. So I, again, when I was racing, because like, I, I just can't, I can't produce the, the power. So I was looking for 
you know, this this was kind of back in 2015 when I was taking bunch racing and stuff a bit more seriously. I, you know, I was looking for. Anything I thought you were about to say you were taking something else there for a second. <laughs> yeah, t- taking performance enhancing oh, drugs. Okay, we can't talk about that. We can't talk about that. We have, <laughs> no comment. No comment. Um, <laughs> no, I was looking for kind of any anything that could help, and I think. This was around the time when Team Sky were making a big deal about taking their own pillows around. And you remember, they might remember they got that camper van for Richie Port at the Giro that the yeah. UCI then hilariously. Yeah, banned. they got it. Yeah, they banned it because they said they had to use accommodation in yeah. local. Te- yeah, I remember that. Which was bloody right as well because it yeah. was actually giving some money to the places they disrupt with their naughty bike racing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, but I kind of cottoned on that sleep could be a big thing and obviously you know we all know what it's like right if you have a bad if you don't have a bad night's sleep you get up the next morning feeling feeling rubbish and it knocks on for the rest of the week so if you can sleep a little bit better you'll recover faster you'll ride faster the next day all of those things and so there's there's loads of things you can do to to make a big difference obviously so you know if you kind of did any googling on this you, you'd see the term sleep hygiene pop up a lot and that generally kind of means you make sure the room is the right temperature so you want your, your room to be around sort of 17 18 degrees which is quite cool you know when you consider room temperature is normally 21 23 degrees but actually if the room's a little bit cooler you generally sleep a bit better now that might not go down so well with your partner <laughs> um <laughs> but you know, but you think about your cycling performance, you got it's exactly. so important. <laughs> um, and then there's, you know, blackout curtains are really, really good. If you've got a set of curtains or blinds that are letting in the light, especially during the summer when the sun comes up early, that's that's going to wake you up. So blackout curtains don't have to be super expensive. They don't have to be made out of kind of fancy Egyptian cotton or anything like that, but you can get a nice <laughs> set of blackout curtains. That'll really help. Um, another good one for me was tracking my sleep using a kind of, you know one of those kind of sleep tracker apps you can get for free. Not that it you know makes a massive difference to your sleep once you're asleep, obviously, but I find for me that tracking things helps me just keep on. You know, I look at it and say, oh, I only got six hours of sleep that night where I should have been getting eight, and it just make, it just reminds me to to stay on top of it a bit more. I'm not doing it so much now that you know obviously we're not racing at the moment because of COVID, so. I can't be asked, but you know, generally, <laughs> generally during the racing season, I'll, I'll, I'll use one of those apps and try and avoid using my phone before bed and, and all, you know, all of those sort of things. But sleeping better is a huge thing. A huge thing, totally. I think one of the things I've really found is that if I've been doing, I mean, I'm talking long, long days. If it's just rides my pals on the weekend, I don't really suffer from this so much. But I always found that after really long rides, I'd actually have quite bad sleeps often. And I think a lot of this was to do with just, you know, you're you're tired, your body is kind of going through recovery if you've got kind of twitchier legs or anything. And the thing I think I pinpointed it down to was dehydration after rides. I'm notorious for not drinking enough on rides, but I'm really trying to make an effort to do more of it. And I found that making sure I'm taking on what feels like an excessive amount of fluids before sleeping is actually helping me. Now, you try and avoid it normally because you think you're going to have to get up in the night for a pee. But I think it's it's to do with kind of how much it takes out of you doing a really long day. So, yeah, keeping on top of your hydration, personally, for me, I find helps me sleep better after long days as well. And then if you're, you know, in the, if you're lucky enough to be doing, I don't know, a stage race, is something well worth considering if you're going to be doing back-to-back long days. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, for me, I, I think like you, there's you know people will find things that work for them. But I find for me having a kind of bowl of cereal uh, before bed really helps me. I think the the milk contains sort of things that help you sleep. If I I, th- I think I remember correctly, and the mm. same for having you know a little bit of carbs that also kind of helps your body go to sleep. And it's good to get in some calories and some protein before bed. That will help you recover a bit more. Like you say, if you're doing a stage race, then you know, obviously it's super important to get a good night's sleep uh, for the mm. for the next day. And obviously, I think a lot of people, if you're worrying about sleep, obviously that's not going to help. And so it can be quite stressful. But I think these days we can, you know, you listen to a podcast, get on, you know, wherever you get your music and, and find some kind of rainforest noises or whale <laughs> sounds or whatever, just something to kind of take, take your mind off it. Don't just kind of lie there and worry about, oh, I should be sleeping because that, that obviously those, won't help. Those, those apps are uh, really, I mean, genuinely incredible. I, I'm a really, I'm a deep sleeper and I don't struggle with sleeping, but probably the hardest feat of endurance I've done in the last couple of years was covering the Tour Down Under, <laughs> which was really hard work, not least because it was 50 degrees Celsius most days, oh God. which was absolutely insane. So you can only imagine how hot the room was. But we were in this dreadful hotel. It was so noisy on the street. I had air conditioning on 24-7. And I turned for the first time there to one of those uh, white noise apps. And I, I preferred I preferred ocean crashing waves. But it, it does genuinely make a massive difference if you do s- struggle with sleeping. Um, I also definitely do not recommend, tempting as it might be, hammering on the old malts before bed because though it might make you feel sleepy it doesn't necessarily make you sleep better <laughs> yeah no, that's absolutely right yeah alcohol is not great for your sleep it would it would definitely disturb you you won't sleep as much you won't have such nice dreams it, you don't get as much uh, REM sleep which is kind of rapid eye movement sleep that's where you you're you're in your deepest phase of sleep and you have your best dreams so if you want to have some nice dreams have some kind of cheese or some milk before bed don't drink any alcohol <laughs> get to bed on time, you know, you'll, you'll wake up, you'll feel like a new person. Well, our beloved listeners don't need to dream because now equipped with this knowledge, they can <laughs> fulfil their dreams of cycling efficiency because we have let you into the deepest, darkest secrets of the cycling industry. That's right, you do not need to spend lots of money. You just need to get a good sleep, clean your, dri- clean your drivetrain and go with narrow handlebars. Anyway, thank you very, very much for listening. I'm Jack Luke. Simon Bromley, thank you very much for leading this discussion. I feel converted. I feel like I will be approaching the summer ahead with newfound enthusiasm for marginal gains. Oh, I can't uh, believe Don't I'm... forget... Oh, sorry, I just can't <laughs> believe I'm giving away all my secrets. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's it. I'll be after you. As soon as we're allowed to ride together, I'll be after you like a pack of dogs. But thank you for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And have a lovely day. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.